Welcome in, everyone, to your Iowa State preview. This is the Heisman Park Rangers. I am Ryan Chapman alongside the Hall of Famer, Randy Heights. Follow us on the Twitter machine, at RadioIsRyan, at RJHeights1077. That's it. Yes, nailed it. Only took me two or three episodes. All right, Randy. So last time we saw the Oklahoma Sooners take the field, uh, everyone lost their you know absolute minds because it was an all-time collapse for really the record the books. Yeah, yeah, I mean the world, the world, the world ended. We were actually recording this podcast from the other side, which is uh, quite the feat. Um, I think that we're the first podcast actually to record from the other side. So yeah. uh, good for us there, Randy. No doubt, pretty impressive, right? And guess what? COVID's still here, so. No, oh, yes. That doesn't clear up. <laughs> COVID's here. We're recording on a Tuesday night. For those of you that know what we're talking about, there was another natural disaster for about an hour and a half broadcast to all of our airwaves. So that's great. We're in a good spot. We're in a good spot. <laughs> that's an understatement. Let's not get in there. We could do a post on that, but I think <laughs> we're we're in a good mental state. This is actually a pregame postgame pod. We're postgaming one thing that was just another disaster. We are we are comfortable. But Randy, on a more serious note, Lincoln Riley did speak to us gathered media today. And Randy, I have to be honest, ahead of this Iowa State game, considering what happened on Saturday, Lincoln appeared to be in a really good mood, really optimistic. I'm not one to ever fall into the trap of, well, coach told us that they had a good week of practice. So that was a good week of practice. But just Lincoln's calm and his demeanor really gave me a vibe that Either the team responded in some way or he's seeing something on the practice field that makes you feel like the Sooners are going to correct course in Ames this weekend. You know, it was interesting. And I will tell you this, if this is Bob Stoops, if this is Bob Stoops still the head coach at Oklahoma, I would go tell you right now, Oklahoma's going to roll Iowa State because Bob always had this, you know, you saw enough press conferences even before you were working in the media. He always had an attitude where I'm not going to say he wasn't in a good mood, but just straightforward answers and everything like that. And it, the weeks he came in, like Riley did today, you kind of went, oh, something was fixed. They know what's going on. And get ready. The train's getting ready to roll through the rest of the season. And that's usually how it was. you know. And with Riley, I haven't seen this enough out of him. I'm like you. I don't know if it's that same moment like you were talking about that the coaches saw something, the players responded with the right attitude, they're good to go for the season or what. It, it just hasn't been one where I, I know exactly how to read this. It does give you that feeling that whatever was wrong, whether it's guys that missed the last few weeks, you know, being in quarantine and they're getting up to speed practice-wise, so maybe a few more guys are going to be in the rotation on that offensive line, maybe some guys that missed some time on defense or you know, some injured guys are going to be back. I, I don't know exactly what it means, but but you do have a little bit of a positive feeling going into the weekend. Yeah, and Lincoln kind of echoed what we said in the postgame pod. So pat on the back to us. Obviously, we are the next two co-head coaches at Oklahoma. But Give me what it looked like, yeah, uh, we are happy to take that pay raise anytime. And also, you can immediately fire us. Uh, our buyout is much smaller than his, exactly. but you will pay the entirety of the buyout. Um Look, the sentiment that Lincoln kind of echoed was obviously they have to be better. Duh. Anytime you lose a game, you're going to have to be better the next time out. But he said, you know, they put a lot of good film out there, basically. They, they did a lot of good things, especially in that first half. And it was just a few mistakes that were 
absolutely killers for the times that they came, but it's things that are correctable. And I feel like that's kind of the vibe we got. We didn't have questions of, do they have the horses up front with this offensive line after the game? We had questions of how many times have these guys actually practiced together and what can, you know, two weeks of good practice do for unity on the defense. It's a little bit different conversation, but we know their first 11 is good enough to win a Big 12 championship. It was last year, and it looked dominant in that first half against Kansas State. So I really feel like it comes from knowing that, yes, it's incredibly frustrating that it's another one of those inexplicable losses. It's incredibly frustrating that the team continues to need to lose a game to fix all of that. But I think there's also understanding that this is a talented team, but it's a young team, and they're just going to have to go through that maturation process. Yeah, and I think that's the case. I mean, when you go back and watch, I know you mentioned watching the Kansas State game again and everything. So many of their mistakes, the mistakes in that game Saturday were correctable. It doesn't mean they're not going to make those mistakes as Saturday in Ames in a first road game. Granted, there's not going to be 65,000 fans there. It's going to be about 6,000, but it's still a road game for some of these young guys. But maybe that is what Coach Riley saw. Maybe he saw some of the young guys that made mistakes step up and asking the right questions come Sunday morning, Monday in practice, you know, where they need to be, whatever the mistake was, whether it was on offense with the offensive line. And I'll say this, going back to that, offensive line again, the biggest mistakes they had were key holding penalties. There were a ton of those in that game. Those are correctable mistakes. Back to, like you were saying, maybe it's more time with this unit together. They feel like some of those mistakes will go by the wayside. So I kind of look at it as, yeah, there are some things, and maybe that's the reason for him to feel confident right now. But who knows? Maybe by the end of the game Saturday night at 10 o'clock, he's not feeling that way. Things could turn and go the other way. I think that's just something we may have to wait and see, and maybe that's even why he feels this way. I'll be confident now, and I'll go in with that feeling until this team proves to me they can't fix those mistakes. And then at that point, Ryan, we got a whole different storyline if they can't fix the mistakes. Right. Yeah. From there, we start going into panic mode. You exactly. start going. You it. We'd have to revert back to is 2014 the last year that we've had one of those moments with Oklahoma where you're basically going, this is not a, you know, a New Year's six team. This is not a team that should be competing for that. This is going to be a team that is scrapping to, you know, be respectable and you don't want to halt recruiting momentum like it could be a big disaster if if things go south in Ames. Oh, it, it could be really bad for him. But yeah, I think that's that's where we're at. It's like, it's kind of like I've said before, until they don't do it, I'm not going to bet against them. And so maybe that's even why Riley has that confidence. Hey, it sucks. He talked about not liking to lose, it, you know, wearing on him, you know, in the sense of, yeah, you don't sleep well. You don't like to lose and everything like that. But at the same time, he's probably got the same quiet confidence I do as watching from the outside going, Hey, been here, done this. It's not the way you want to go about doing it, but we know how to go about doing this and getting back into that Big 12 championship game, winning a Big 12 championship, making the college football playoffs. So I I, I wonder how much of that with a young team is Riley also, whether he believes it or not, I'm going to put that air of confidence out there to see if, hey, if I put it out there, the team's going to believe. Because the last thing you want your leader doing is walking around with any self-doubt. And so I kind of wonder if that's what some of this was too. I'm going to put out my best foot forward. That way the team believes and we continue to move forward. 
Well, and I think you're going to learn a lot about a lot of the young guys on this team. This is the first time that many of them have dealt with not just any adversity, but just college football at this level. And so there's going to be a sink or float moment in any player's career, especially at a place like Oklahoma. It is a pressure cooker. You're expected to win every single game. It doesn't matter if Missouri State or Alabama is lining up next to you. That is the expectation, and realistic or not, that is a hell of a lot of pressure to put young men 18 to 24 years old under, depending on where they're at. And so you have to, at some point, it's put up or shut up time where you're saying, hey, can these guys get it done? And Randy, I was kind of shocked. I've gone back, watched the game against Kansas State one more time since we last podcasted, and I know there were concerns about you the offense. You like to be punished. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So normally when I'm having trouble going to sleep, that Baylor game where they just threw little flares to yeah. against Mike Soups' defense all the way down the field. What year was that? Was that also 2014? I think that was 14. Yeah, that was 2014, yeah. I believe. That's my favorite thing to go to sleep to, Randy, because, you know, glutton for punishment. But w- watching it back in the second half, the offensive line did a lot of good. Right? Like at that point, it was more there were the absolutely catastrophic penalties in the fourth quarter. Lincoln mentioned the holding on Spencer Rattler's scramble that we talked about today as one of those huge ones. But Spencer Rattler really lost faith in that offensive line and started to move around. And that was a big problem. Like I 100% expect that a, he's going to get coached on that, but B against this Iowa state team that's coming in with Jaquan Bailey, who just, you know, set a big sack total against TCU. I a hundred percent expect there's going to be a lot of designed pocket movements that Spencer Rattler has flashed that he is very accurate and very comfortable throwing on the run. Even if Oklahoma had beat Kansas state, if they had finished him off and, you know, covered or whatever one by 30, I still think that that's going to become a focus of this offense because Spencer Rattler has shown that he is that comfortable moving the pocket around. And when you Mm -hmm. start moving the pocket around, get some of these wide receivers in space, maybe there's some breakdowns. It doesn't become conventional football. That's where talent's going to win out. And that's a huge advantage for Oklahoma going up against just about anyone in this conference. Uh, No doubt about it. And and I think the other thing you'll probably see is some of those linemen that missed the first week start to make some more rotation in because – Yes, those problems are fixable, but I think we all know based on the first two deep that came out before the season started, before Missouri State, the guys that were playing in positions were not playing in the spot they were on on that two deep roster that we saw. So I think we're going to start seeing more of that, maybe seeing more of what the coaching staff saw before week one, before the players went in quarantine. So I think that's the other thing we're going to see in this game this week. You're going to see maybe a little more rotation in the offensive line because Coach Beatonmo, that's the one thing he talked about, that he feels like he's got a two deep for the first time in a long time at the offensive line. But again, they haven't all worked together that much. So you kind of wonder over these last two weeks, three weeks now going into this game, is that what's been happening? And we're going to see more of that come into fruition coming this Saturday against Iowa State because I'm like you. I think they'll do some rollout, and I've got a feeling Spencer seems like a smart kid, and I talked about it in the last podcast. I think it's one thing he got hit in the mouth, and you mentioned it earlier, kind of lost a little faith in that line. It's like you get hit in the mouth, that's one thing, but when you keep dropping back and there's no time to do what you want to do, I think he panicked a little. And so maybe that's that's a growing up moment for him, realizing kind of what you're saying. Hey, I can roll out. I can make the throws. And to be honest, 
I've said it time and time again. There were times where he even had time to read through his roots. You could tell a couple of times. All right, I'm at Division One, big time power five football. I can only go through my progression one time, and then I've got to make a decision what I'm going to do. So that's a growing up point for him, too. And I think we'll see some of that this week. He won't try to hang back there and read through all three of his routes, four of his routes, twice. That's when he was getting in trouble and getting the holding calls. Yeah, for sure. And I just kind of have an interesting thought here, and I've kind of gone back and forth on this. Of all of the upper end defenses in the Big 12, Mm -hmm. I feel like this Iowa State defense is the one that you most want to go against coming off of some of the problems that we discussed with the Kansas state game, because this is a defense that became very famous and it frustrated the hell out of Baker Mayfield. That's why they won in Norman right. was because they said, we're going to drop seven or eight guys into coverage almost every play. And you are going to have to be disciplined enough to just dink and dunk your way down the field. You're an offense that is very used to, to big explosive plays, that's we're just going to take that away and dink and dunk. And I almost feel like, yes, we've already talked about him once, Jaquan Bailey. He's a, an electric defensive lineman for the Cyclones. But I really feel like you give Bill Beanbow a week to game plan around that. You add on the fact that this offensive line is going to be motivated to come out and prove something. I'm not sure we're going to see Spencer Rattler under a ton of duress. And that's by design of the Iowa State defense. Like if you're going to look to a next game to build confidence and say, we're going to put Spencer Rattler through the ringer against a good defense. This is the one I'd want him facing because you shouldn't have those problems unless Iowa state thinks way outside the box and, and become something they totally aren't. So I almost wonder if this could be the best thing possible for what Lincoln Riley is going to be instilling in Spencer Rattler, because he should basically be saying, look, you're going to get a lot of three man rushes. There's no need for you to start evading the pocket, still have that clock in your head. Mm-hmm. but you don't you don't have to get happy feet you're gonna be comfortable you just have to find the right pass every play well I, I love your theory and i agree with it definitely don't think it's wrong but what concerns me back to the offensive line kansas state was dropping guys back they were taking away the big play so i will say this i think you start to worry about some of that pass rush and him maybe staying back there too long if the line doesn't improve on their blocking But to go along with what you were saying, it is probably a good week to play him because as a young freshman quarterback, yeah, the schemes will be different and the talent's different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But some of this is going to be what he faced against Kansas State, unless, like you say, Iowa State just totally changes up what they do. So there's going one week you've played a defense that likes to drop drop back and wants you to dink and dunk all the way down the field. So he's already seen it for a week. So maybe this helps the young freshman quarterback as well. It's not going to be his first time seeing somebody go, all right, big plays, they're off the table. You're going to have to go down the field slowly. So I'm with you. I, I see some positives to playing Iowa State this week. And to be honest, I just see positives in the sense of they're not an explosive offense, not that Kansas State was either. Now, they may have the best running back in the Big 12. I will say right. that. Well, Iowa State may have that for defensive side. But I think offensively, what OU is going to be going up against, you know, against Iowa State's defense. It might be the perfect scenario, even though you lost to K-State, to have played a defense that tried to do that and made up for their lack of depth by doing some of the things Kansas State or the Iowa State will do this weekend, I think. 
Yeah, and I kind of talk about so moving on officially to Iowa State here. They they went into Fort Worth, came out with a thirty-seven to thirty-four win. It was not that close. TCU added a truly meaningful, meaningless, sorry, hail mary Unless touchdown as time the expired. Extra point. They kicked the extra point. It's meaningful. Yes, yes, <laughs> it uh, it uh, cost a lot of people a lot of money. Thankfully, I was not one of those people, but. Um, so the game was not that close. And this was, I think, that bounce back that we expected out of the Cyclones. Obviously, it sucks for TCU that, hey, you had a game scrapped, a game that didn't want to play anyway, but a game nonetheless, having to come up against an Iowa State team looking to prove something. But my biggest question for Iowa State after that loss to the Raging Cajuns was their offensive line looked dreadful, awful, mm-hmm. awful. I thought they looked really physical against TCU and gave Brees Hall a lot of time to find the hole, hit the hole hard. And and like you said, though, I would, you know, still place my money in the camp of Chuba Hubbard as far as the best back in the Big 12. Brees That's Hall true, is certainly yeah. in that conversation. And I mean, anytime, like, Randy, this is insane. 18 carries, a buck 50, and three touchdowns. Like, what are you going to take away from that performance? And uh, this is a guy that he will truck through some people. It's not a Deuce Vaughn situation. It's not a he's going to spin off of you. This Oklahoma defense is going to have to tackle, and that's what cost them in the second half. No doubt, and I think that's the big question. The fundamentals that Alex Grinch had brought in last year, it looked like in that second half, some of those disappeared. The tackling ability. You know, but but let's think about this. You know, when we look ahead to some of the guys doing some different stuff, there were some guys, we didn't even talk about it on the post-game podcast, right? Woody Washington was playing a defensive back on Saturday at times. He has never played a defensive back that I know of. While yeah. at the University of Oklahoma, he's always been at a safety position. So it's like, okay, there's that. Not saying that means he should have forgot how to tackle. Brian Meade's playing in critical situations and being put up in bad mismatches. So, you know, you look at some of that, how much of that was mental when things just started getting out of control is why they started making the mistakes. That's what we're going to have to see because I, I'm going to, again, it's only been one year. I'm going to go to, Alex Grinch, whose defense hasn't ever had that big a problem tackling before. I don't see him doing it two weeks in a row because that's one team room I would not want to be in. It's the defensive team room this week. So I can't imagine they're going to have those problems. But you're, you're right on Brees Hall. This kid is not going to try to make you miss. He'll run, I mean, he'll make you miss, but he, he's okay with getting contact, and he's going to run through you. And, yeah, Chuba Hubbard's the best back in the Big 12, but let me tell you, Brees Hall is so special. When you look at this kid, if he was at, let's just say if he was at Oklahoma, if he was at Texas, there would be a lot of talk about this young man. Heck, if he was at Oklahoma State instead of Chuba Hubbard, everyone would know Brees Hall's name. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't mean to take anything away from Brees Hall. This is one of those situations of, oh, well, I'm giving you $1,000. Would you rather it be cash or credit? I'm just like, oh, well, you know. Both are good options. Both are great options. I'd go with one just because you have to pick one. But yeah, and, and I think that he's aided by having this is something that theoretically Kansas State did not have, which is a quarterback to the caliber of Brock Purdy. Now, Skylar Thompson, like you said, turns into uh, Colin Klein meets Tim Tebow meets Joe Montana. He just goes straight yeah. to Joe Montana. <laughs> yeah, he. He's basically Patrick Mahal of fame when he plays the Oklahoma defense. But Brock Purdy, look, he's a guy 
that I'm on record as saying I'm not as high on Brock Purdy as everyone else is. I feel like Brock Purdy is aided by the fact that he's a competent quarterback playing at Iowa State, which is just something we have never seen before. But Brock Purdy is a guy that Lincoln Riley said today, look, we've made mistakes. We made mistakes against Missouri State. We made mistakes against Kansas State. And what happened was Kansas State capitalized on him. Brock Purdy is absolutely that guy that if someone's running wide open, it's going to be seven points for the Cyclones. And and that makes it just even harder because you know that this is a guy who he has no fear. He's that kind of, you know, gunslinger mentality type guy. They don't ask him to throw it around 40 times a game usually. But Brock Purdy can beat you with his arm. You pair that with Brees Hall, and there's not anything I really feel like this defense is going to be able to key in on specifically. They're just going to have to play 60 minutes of fundamental football. But I think that's okay because this is a defense that has a lot to prove still, despite the fact that they played a lot better last season than they had been in years past. No doubt about it, Ryan. I I mean, and I think what you're talking about, Purdy, that that's not all wrong. Brock Purdy's a heck of a player. I'm going to move off camera for a second. Brock Purdy's a heck of a player. And I think though, sometimes how confident is he? I, I mean, don't get me wrong. This isn't a slam, but I'm wondering if he's a kid that when he came in in his freshman year, their quarterback play was so bad that Brock Purdy, he did what you should as a fairly talented guy at that time. He took advantage of a lot of people not knowing what to expect because it does seem like, I'll be honest, the last two years, when remember last year, everyone was high on Iowa State. This is their year. This year, they started getting hyped. I'm kind of to the point of, is Brock Purdy what we saw his freshman year when he caught people off guard? Or is Brock Purdy what we saw the last last year and kind of seeing this year? A guy that can have moments, but I'm not sure how truly competent he is. I mean, it's like he benefited, I think, from that first year catching people off guard, and they were good. And think about the receiving core they had. Think about that receiving core Iowa State had. Lassard in the NFL right now. Absolutely. Uh, the young man, Butler, from Iowa State that was on the Cardinals just got cut. He was, you know, one of the receivers over the last few years. I mean, they had some great talent. And you got Kohler, the Norman product there, is the tight end's a really good guy. But it's kind of interesting to see what do they replace those guys with. And I think that's what we're going to see. But you're right. Oklahoma can't play around because, hey, he has proven he's got moments where he can take advantage of things. And real quick, shout out Charlie Kolar. I went to high school with Charlie. I ref soccer with Charlie. Really good dude. All right. End of that. Um, here, Here's what I've always kind of seen Brock Purdy as. And, you know, this hello what is up the dogs are making an appearance it's look it's not a zoom podcast unless all the pets in the house get involved randy that's like i don't make the the rules now get involved there's seven of them so we don't need that yeah which we can we can talk about that some other time it is like you you guys have to learn to say no every time the stray pops up but um i've always viewed brock purdy as kind of a sam ellinger light because he's that tough hard-nosed guy that if he needs to, he can run the ball. He's not going to shy away from a hit, all that stuff. But until right. what we've seen out of Sam Ellinger this year, like go put that in a box. Think of Sam Ellinger like his sophomore year. The best game for Sam Ellinger is when he's throwing the ball 20 to 25 times. And when Texas was good on first down to get ahead of the chains, that way he's not sitting there in obvious passing situations in third and long where he's going to have to make something happen. Brock Purdy's that guy that he is very efficient, in my opinion, 
when Iowa State stays ahead of the chains. Now, with a guy like Brees Hall, even if your offensive line is breaking down, they absolutely can achieve that. So I, I really feel like more than most games, first down, everyone needs to be paying attention to that offensive line of Iowa State and the defensive line of Oklahoma. That battle on first down is going to be crucial because despite the disaster that we saw, Oklahoma was still electric in third down defense against Kansas State, which is a big improvement they made last year. Like those things are staying put. So if Oklahoma can just get Iowa State behind the chains on first down Mm -hmm. and then limit the big plays on second and third down, I think that they're set up to have a lot of success this Saturday. Well, you mentioned no doubt. And you mentioned third down. They lead the country in third down efficiency right now defensively. I mean, they've been, granted, Missouri State, again, we say that, that's one of their opponents, but I don't have the final numbers in front of me, but I know for a fact at one point in time, Kansas State was two for 11, I believe it was, on third down conversion. You're right. The big plays, instead of how in years past, when Mike Stoops was there, not to keep throwing the poor man under the bus, but if you saw third and 16, you knew, ah, that's a first down or a touchdown coming up. OU's eliminated that. The problem is their big plays have come on first and second down. It's almost like they've ratcheted up the intensity when it gets to third down. But, boy, let me tell you, first and second down, things got away from them. And you're right on Purdy. If they can keep it at 25 passes a game for him, that's when he's at his best. And it's going to be interesting to see because I do think that's one thing OU knows. And if they can get out and get that fast start, I'm looking for Oklahoma to get out and get – get the fast start, get up 14, 21 points. And the one thing I want to see if that happens, because A, they want to make it where Iowa State has to throw the ball. Is this the game? Because I felt like they went away from it some, and granted, some of it's their yards per carry average. But is this the game where it's, yeah, they're not going to run the ball every time, but they take advantage of having, we didn't even see Marcus Major last week. I don't know if he's in quarantine or what, but, you know, you've got three solid running backs. Seth McGowan, who I think is a stud. I really liked what I saw out of TJ Pledger last week. And then again, Marcus Major, you got three guys. Is this the time where they start taking advantage and doing some of the things they've done under Lincoln Riley when they had P. Ryan and Mixon and knew how to close games out? When they had Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon the last couple of years, they knew how to close people out with big leads. Yeah, you got to throw, but you got to run the ball some to milk that clock. So I'm kind of curious to see if they go back to that this week. And we can get into running backs later. Kind of want to talk about that at some point. But I think that's the deal. This is the week where they're going to try to get out that lead and we see what the running game can truly do for Oklahoma this year. Yeah, and I want to get into the running backs, but two things real quick before we do that. First, just circling back to you know that matchup of, of trying to keep Iowa State into second and third and long. This is something that I thought was lost in all of the chaos of the collapse on Saturday. Oklahoma only gave up 66 rushing yards. Mm -hmm. 66. And when we talk about the passing yards, okay, Kansas State had 400 total yards. That's about 340. 77 of those yards was on the uh, Deuce Vaughn where he just ran a simple slant, broke a tackle, and ran uh, almost to the house. 78 yards was on the Mosey busted play that Brian me just didn't know what was happening. So when Lincoln Riley says these are correctable things, I tend to believe him here. Cause if you take those two play, if you take one of those plays off the board, Oklahoma wins the game. So yeah. it's just one of those things. But I do think that there is a, a 
world in which OU gets out early in this. I just wonder, you know, we talk about it all the time that this is an offense predicated on it can be air raidy at times if it needs mm-hmm. to be, but it is a power spread. It is it is built behind that offensive line and is built to close games. But here's the deal. Oklahoma has won a ton of close games over the last two, three years under Lincoln Riley. For sure, absolutely, you cannot take that away from them. But the problem is they get out to big leads and then let teams back in, which is what is incredibly frustrating. And I just kind of want to talk about that for a second, because that is what got them beat against Kansas State this year. Um, It's what made the Jalen Hurts experience down the back end of last year so frustrating because Iowa State, this game last year was a game that should have been wrapped up in hand by halftime. CeeDee Lamb puts the ball on the ground. Jalen Hurts gives the ball away. And all of a sudden, it's squeaky bum time at Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium. So I, I kind of want to talk about just real quick before we hop into the running backs. I think there'll be a big key to this. Why is it just as simple as Oklahoma does not have the depth on defense to play a full 60 minutes of football? And it's just been unfortunate that the Sooners have not played complimentary football at times in years past. Like, is it a mental block? I, I struggle to understand why Oklahoma can't put teams away. I fully agree with you because what, what confuses me about it is you mentioned it's about putting teams away. And sometimes it, it, I feel bad for the defensive side of the ball because so many times when that happens, where does all the criticism go? It's going to go to it the defense. Over here at, it goes on the defense, which, yes, they are the ones that give up the big plays. But even like when you look at Saturday's game where they gave up the lead and lost the game, yes, it was the defense that gave up those big plays and everything like that. But when you look at it in that second half, they were on the field a ton because the offense gave the ball up, whether it was on the block punt in a short field, interception, fumble. I mean, there were things where the defense was doing its job, but then the offense would go, ah, you stopped them. Here, take the ball back. You stopped them. Here, take the ball back. So that's where I don't know if it is mental because also I'll say this, even though they're a power spread, what I don't get, whether what, and I'm not a coach and I'm not going to criticize them in the sense of like, I know more than they do. Like some people would, cause I don't, but the one thing, and it goes for me for Oklahoma or whoever, cause I'm almost thinking it is mental. I don't know if you're doing something in a game, whether it's you're doing the full fledged air raid and you get up 35 points and there's still another half. If you know that's what's working for you in that game and you go one or two series going, we're going to try to grind it out and power it out and you're not doing it, you know what I'm doing? I'm going right back to the air raid that I was getting up on those points. And I guess that's where it seems like some of the misconnect or disconnect has been sometimes in some of these games. Whatever OU's done to be successful, they've went away from. And then the other team gets back in it. And by the time they decide, oh, we need to go back for what was working for us, oh, the game's already over, they're behind. And, yeah. and that's where I'm like, I don't know if it's men on the coach's side, men on the player's side, but there is a disconnect there somewhere along the lines. And, hey, we'll we'll see because I, I'm one that keeps saying they need to run the ball, but if you get into a spot where you can't, go back to where what got you, got you the lead. Continue yeah, to it, do that. And I'm someone that's always – I've held the opinion since Lincoln has taken over the program – I don't know if this is because he has to play the role of offensive coordinator and head coach, but this is something that I always felt like. Um, I believe John Hoover, I think, today asked it today of Lincoln, you know, does that hamper him at all, having to have both hats on? 
And Lincoln, of course, is going to never say no. You're like, yes, obviously, I'm struggling being both. But I have always felt that once Lincoln Riley took over as head coach, he has been way too conservative with leads. And it's hard to really mm-hmm. knock him because they've been very successful. But it's like we're talking about there are way more games that Sooner fans have had to sweat out for no damn reason since Lincoln Riley has been the head coach. And I just wonder if it's one of those things that, you know, early on when he still had Mike Stoops as his defensive coordinator, you felt like they had to play ball control to protect the defense at all costs, knowing that likely you only get three or four stops a game out of them. You just got to hope they come at the right times. Well, with Alex Grinch, that is not the case. The reason Alex Grinch was brought in on top of the turnover things is because Alex Grinch succeeded as a defensive coordinator at Washington State. He succeeded where, in theory, Mike Leach, he's either scoring or going three and out, but you're going to be back on the field in two minutes. Like It doesn't matter what the result is. That is what Alex Grinch was raised in. That's what he knows. That is what he is supposed to excel at. Why not just run the damn offense as fast as you need to? I understand not running it at light speed because you're checking into the right protections and all that stuff at the line of scrimmage, but run the damn offense until the third quarter is over. Then if you look up on the scoreboard and say, hey, we're up by 28 points, you know, we can run the ball out. I don't understand why that's not just been the philosophy from Lincoln, regardless of what else is going on. I'm with you, and I do sometimes wonder – I'm not one saying when I wonder that he should give up offensive coordinator. He's one of the best offensive coordinators, offensive minds in college football. But I kind of wonder, now being the head coach, and so now you start factoring in all those things in your head. Because to me, a really, truly, a good head coach, for the most part, is a manager. He's got a a great offensive coordinator, does his job. A great defensive, does his job. What the head coach, to me, should be, hey, it's third and one, we're down by three, and your offense coordinator gives you a choice of what to do. You make maybe that critical decision. Hey, it's fourth down, we're in a tie ball game, we're at this part of the field, do we go for it, do we punt it away and let our defense do the job? You know, but unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, Riley has made himself offensive coordinator because he is such a great offensive mind. So I don't know if that's him going, all right, I'm the head man. I've got to make these decisions for my offense, but I'm trying to make the right decisions as well for my team as a whole. And so I don't know if he puts himself too much in the head coaching role, if you will, sometimes as the offensive coordinator and not just being that offensive coordinator like he was his you know, first year with Bob right. when he was just offensive coordinator was able to tell Bob, hey, our guys can do this. Let's do this. And it did seem like they were sometimes more creative more gutsy on what they did. And that's probably because Bob said, Hey, I, I hired you because you're a great offensive mind. If this is what you think we should do, let's do it. And that could be part of just being a young guy in a head coaching role, not at East Carolina, but at the university of Oklahoma. And and in some ways he's got the weight of the entire state on him. I'm not trying to diss Oklahoma state fans or Tulsa fans, but the majority of people in the state are Oklahoma fans. So I don't know if it's that being that young and it's something that's going to come in time, you know, next year, the following year, as he gets more comfortable at doing both roles, he goes back to being more that offensive coordinator going, Hey, Alex, or whoever at that point in time is your defensive coordinator. You got this. Cause I hired you for a reason. I'm going to do my thing. And yeah, I it- think that's what makes the best kind of like you mentioned, Mike Leach, he's been experienced enough and he struggled forever at tech. 
and I as far as with defense. And I think that's what he finally did with Alex Grinch at Washington State. You know what? I'm going to go back. I'm the head coach, but I'm going to go back to being my offensive coordinator role. I'm not going to worry about what your defense does when I'm doing offense. And sometimes I think Lincoln starts overanalyzing at times. Yeah, and I let me let me be very clear. There is one man that I would say, yeah, if that guy's going to join your staff as a college as a college coach, Lincoln should step aside from the OC and maybe it would be and that'd be Cliff Kingsbury. And I still think that Lincoln's a, a greater offensive mind than Cliff Kingsbury. Right. But if, if it's someone of that caliber, I would trust Lincoln being heavily involved in the game planning and then, you know, handing over the keys to specific in-game play calling because you know that he's still always going to butt in and be like, hey, why don't we go to this here? But I don't ever think you should step away from that. But like you said, maybe he just needs to empower one guy on the staff, whether it be Kale Gundy, Bill Beedenbo, Shane Beamer, or Alex Grinch himself. If he's ever doubting, like, like Oklahoma should not have punted with what was it like two and a half minutes left in the game I, here. That that is where I, I was, was like Lincoln. Ha- yeah, I was. That's where I was like Lincoln has no faith in what this offense can do. I don't think that was a oh the defense is going to get it back. I'm like that's just a you have no faith in in your offense to to get that. I think that he just needs that one other guy to just look at him and be like, screw this, damn it, Lincoln, we're going. Because Lincoln Riley's best games, his his biggest games, I think back to what put Lincoln Riley truly on the map as the head coach going into Columbus and just throwing caution to the wind and saying, we're not supposed to win this game. We got Trounce last year in Norman. Now I'm a new coach, all this stuff. Hell, we're Mm going to put in a play where Baker Mayfield pretends to cramp so that we can put Kyler Murray in so that the defensive end shit themselves for Iowa State. We're going to go for it on every like fourth and three and close like aggressive Lincoln Riley. Like you have built one of the greatest offensive dynasties already. I'm calling it right now. One of the greatest offensive legacies in Mm -hmm. college football history. More times than not, you're going to pick up two yards. I I fully agree. I I mean. That Saturday, we can go back to that, but I, I was speechless because I was like, you know, I'm like, uh, look at the clock, look at your timeout situation. And you're right, because Lincoln Riley made his mark at Oklahoma for being ballsy. Like, basically, like, mine's bigger than yours, and I'm going to go for it, you know? And, and you're right, that's what he did. Think about, think about maybe, in my opinion, and I'm one that says Jalen Hurts had major issues. I was not the biggest fan of him at quarterback. but Think about when I felt like Riley went back to being a little bit more that offensive coordinator, just going, screw it, we're doing this. Last year at Waco, when they got down big in that second half. Absolutely. It's like he went, you know what, fuck it. This is what we're going to do as an offense. This is how we're going to move the ball. This is, you know, it's balls to the wall. We're going to take those chances. We're going to show you we're better than you and you can't stop us. And that's what I'm waiting to see out of this offense. Now, granted, it's a young quarterback, so let's not forget that either. But I'm kind of wondering, does he go back to that maybe after this past game going, you know what, I'm just going to put the hammer down until one of the defensive coaches goes, hey, hey, coach, we're good. We got we got this now. We got it. Well, and, and I just don't understand, too, that so at a place like Oklahoma, you have the athletes where that decision is not a – I don't trust the defense decision. It's not anything like this. If you're going for it on fourth and short, those are the kind of plays that energize the entire sideline. Cause the offense, mm-hmm. when you tell them we're going, you're telling the offense, I believe in you. And when you say in a fourth and short, Hey, we're going for it. You're turning to the defense. And, and this is all I used to preach all week is, 
in those situations, I'm showing you that I have so much faith that we're willing to roll the dice on picking up this first down. Cause if we don't do it, I believe you're going to come up big for us in a short field situation. Like at a place like Oklahoma, that is a move of empowerment to energize your football team. It is not a, Oh, we don't trust the defense. So we're going for it. And everyone's deflated that that's just not how it should come off. And if you're coaching correctly, and if you are in touch with your players, which I don't think anyone is going to ever question that Lincoln Riley is on the same page of his players. Cause he is right. That should just be one of those moves that says, Fuck this. We're Oklahoma. We haven't won a national championship in 20 years. We're changing the score around here. We're changing the math. We're going for it. We're going to be aggressive. And we're going to grab life by the horns and say, look, we haven't done it in two decades. We need to change that. And it starts today with a mentality shift. And I just, I just feel like it makes so much sense. But, you know, I also don't get paid millions of dollars and live with the pressure of if you lose one game at Oklahoma, everyone calls in and says that you should be fired. So that's neither here nor there. But real quick, Randy, before we kind of flip to some predictions and some listener questions, let's circle back to the running backs. I know that uh, we want to talk about this. I really Mm -hmm. like the dynamic that Oklahoma has with TJ Pledger and Seth McGowan here because Seth McGowan it's not pretty when he runs. He looks like he's just so twitchy and he looks like he looks like Mm -hmm. he's uh one of those, you know, when when you go to elementary school and you can tell which ones have AD, ADD or ADHD and just haven't been diagnosed yet, and he's just kind of twitching around. That's kind of like how I feel like, but I kind of like the energy he brings. But when he's going out like that, TJ Pledger, he had some good moments. He had some moments where he kind of disappeared against Kansas State. I think that's more of, on one hand, he hasn't been the guy at Oklahoma, and also he was a dude that missed the Missouri State game. I really feel like having that one-two punch where you can say, TJ, this is your drive. Now, Seth, that's your drive. They are good enough that that competition will bring the best out of them because if you're not rolling, you've got a guy that's just as talented that can just take all the carries. No, no doubt. And I mean, TJ Pledger, the one thing I liked out of him, because I'll be honest, I've liked this kid since he's got on campus. Unfortunately for him, he had Kennedy Brooks, he had Trey Sermon in front of him, and then he had a fumble issue. Seemed like every time he started playing and had some good moments in years past, He'd fumble the ball and you'd never see him again for like two or three games. Um, but what I liked about him is even when they ran the Wildcat the other day, remember the old Wildcat, you know, where Blake Bell would be in or Tim Tebow even? There weren't many moves. It was run right at the line. Right. He's elusive. He had moves. I mean, and that's the thing. And I liked him as a receiver out of the out of the backfield. He looked pretty good in that role. And, and you're right. I think they can bring a different dynamic. and and. Seth McGowan, he's a guy I look at and go, all right, give this guy two more years. He's going to be in the NFL. I, I have no doubts he's an NFL type back because of his size, his speed, his power, and shiftiness. So those two guys, they're, they're really good, and I feel good about where this running game can go with them. It's going to be up to those pass blo- I mean, those run blockers, the offensive line, continuing to create holes because – that's one reason I look at the young freshman coming in playing left tackle this coming week. Does he get more snaps if he cuts out the holding? Because that's when they had their most success, especially running to the left side of the line. I mean, those are the moments that can help these running backs because you didn't even mention Marcus Major. I've mentioned him a couple times on this podcast because I think he's easy to forget because, yeah, he didn't do anything real flashy against Missouri State. But this was a kid last year before the season started. People were hyping up. I'm right. saying 
hey, if he, you know, he's going to get some carries. He's going to get some carries, you know, and that was with Brooks and Sermon on the roster and the junior college Stevenson coming in. I mean, so I think he's another guy. I think they've got four running backs that if they get in a spot, they can grind away three for right now and what, two more games before you, you see Stevenson. But that's kind of the thing right now. And I love what these two guys can do. I think they got a chance to do a little bit of what Sermon and Brooks did in their first year together. And here's something that I really like about them that is not the sexiest thing, but we've talked about Spencer Rattler was not comfortable in the pocket in the fourth mm. quarter. These both of these guys, even if they're a little bit smaller, like talking about TJ Pledger, a little bit smaller than what your ideal back to bring in on a third down to pass protect. They were really good at picking up anything that Kansas State threw at them, picking up the blitzes. They did not look confused. Today, TJ Pledger talked about um, DeMarco Murray and his influence as the incoming running backs coach, the new running backs coach this year of he had emphasized, you know, being able to break tackles and be elusive, which we know they can do. But also you have to be good in pass protection because if you're not, you're not going to see the field. And I think that's no shock what we've seen out of Lincoln Riley, Bill Beanbow, top to bottom the receivers if you don't block downfield sorry that was what like I loved about CD Lamb his freshman year more than anything else is that he was just as willing to throw a huge block down the field even get ejected against Tulane um throwing blocks like that I was pleased that he's just as willing to do that as he was to go out and make plays and these two guys look to be of that same ilk so that for me is a a big boon because when you talk about having that talented H-back room if you're telling me that in a formation you can throw out Stogner, McGowan or Pledger and uh, Jeremiah Hall. And you're telling me that all those guys can protect and all those guys can go make plays. I I don't know what you do as a defensive coordinator. And I agree because what makes that good, like you say, them picking up their blocks and not missing anything in the past. I mean, even Pledger was one in his first couple of years, not only fumbling would miss some key blocks in his chances. And that's when, you know, he wouldn't see the field again. If all of them can block and do the good job of blocking it's not as evident what you're going to do. Like if you're a good runner but can't block, those teams knew pretty much, oh, yep, he's in the game. They're going to run this play, you know. So that that makes this offense even more dynamic. And so, yeah, I do like that. And I think, I don't know, I just look at this offense as still a work in progress, but I like the pieces. You know, it's not like a work in progress where we've all seen football teams in years past, whether it's at Oklahoma or anywhere in the country where you're like, Oh, that's a work in progress, but I don't Yikes. think it's a work that's going to be fixed this year. You know, they need to get this such and such that's committed to them. That's the one thing I like about this offense. For the most part, they've got the pieces in hand right now. This work in progress could be 100% by this Saturday. It may not be till Texas. Who knows? And it may never happen, but at least you see the pieces on the field that could actually fix the problem this year. Yeah, the talent is there for sure. It'll just be up to coaching and and ultimately, can the players digest the coaching and implement it on the field? Let's turn the page just real quick as we wrap up here, Randy. So this is the first time the Sooners are hitting the road. Like you said earlier, they are not going to be facing a sold out Jack Tri Stadium. It's not going to be loud and rowdy. It's about what, 6,000 fans. So you have to... Yeah, something in there. Even if it's not, we've seen 25% kind of be the standard around the Big 12. Um, doing just some quick math on on Iowa State's capacity, that put it at somewhere between 6,000 on the low and 15,000 max. So not really a huge showing. 
Um, I think that this is like a really good time for this for Oklahoma. Cause like we said, this is a very young team and road trips just kind of build that camaraderie and it builds that, um, this is what real college football is. This is we're having to go into this state and we're having to do this, having to do that. And, and I really think that'll help that they can simultaneously hit the road and have that bonding experience of getting on the plane, being in the hotel, all that stuff. But also they're not going to be facing a rabid stadium ready to tear them down. Like there's going to be a lot of fans there. They'll be passionate, but there's going to be more empty seats than anything else. No doubt. Hey, I've said that forever about this year because we all knew coming into the year, this team was young, you know, and I didn't want COVID. So don't, don't take it that way. But for a young team, especially with a freshman quarterback, you know, I'm like, if there was a good year to have limited fans for Oakland, this was the year. Cause you're right. They're going to get that experience of going on the road and playing in not hostile, but I mean, some will be upwards of 25,000 fans or so. So he's going to get a little bit of that, that experience. And by next year, I'm going to look on to next year. Let's just say fans are allowed. Yeah, he will at least have the fans there and be more ravenous, let's hope. But it's not going to be a total experience of everything new, the road trip, what you're doing, how to prepare. You know, and so I look at it at least as a positive. Like you said, these young guys are going to get that experience and get that bonding on the road without having to worry about being called whatever by the fan bases. Hey, I was a fan. Trust me. There's rude things that can fly out of fans and get into a kid's head. So, I mean, that that's the one thing. I like this for Oklahoma. I like this for the young team. And that's one reason why I've said all along, this team could be a playoff team, but they're a year away from truly being a contender, in my opinion, maybe two years away from being a national title contender and be back in the spotlight next year. This year, if they make the playoffs, it's gravy. Right. I mean, you got a freshman quarterback. This year is gravy if somehow you make the playoffs, and that was before COVID happened. So, I mean, I think that's how you have to look at it. It's just a building year, and it's not giving up on this season. But, no, there's a good chance they don't lose another game all year long until postseason. There's a chance they could lose two more games because you are dealing with a young team, and I think that's what everyone needs to remember going into the rest of the season. It's a roller coaster. Absolutely. And we are here to write it. Final thing before we get out of here, Randy, this is something I kind of want to do um, every week. I really like to look at the lines out of Vegas coming out, not for gambling purposes, anything like that. But oh, why just, not? Because Texas sucks and killed me on yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Te- Texas. I took the money line. I, I took the money line. Oh, you were the tech money line or the Texas money line? Yeah. Well, I mean, I took tech's money line. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I had tech in the gotcha. money line. Oh, well, you were I was not a hat. Dude, you, was, you couldn't escape it. You were you were mad at the OU collapse. You turn on the TV. You're like, oh, at least Tech's up by, yeah. you know, what, what was it, 15 points? Oh, 15. nope, they're they're yeah. done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 15. Yeah. I Trust me, I almost went on a bender that night. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't blame I thought, you. I was like, at least, are you, I mean, I know you lost, but at least I'm going to win this money line bet as I watch the next 40 minutes of my life disappear. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go on with what you want to do. Dark days, dark days. Well, I was going from, you know, Vegas, when they set the lines, they use, you know, heavy analytics and and it's not super reactionary week to week, which is kind of why I like to look at it. Oklahoma opened at, depending on where you looked at it, a nine to 10 point favorite. It's now down to seven most places. The over under is about 62 and a half. Looks like it stayed about there. So basically, what Vegas is telling us, 
35-28 would be their scoreline projection. So, mm-hmm. Randy, do, do you think that that makes a lot of sense, the Sooners going in 35-28, or are you a little more bullish on them than we are? Than I, I don't know. I actually was having this conversation with Keegan Renault on Saturday. He asked what I thought the line would be. I said, I actually said between 9 and 10. I think that's about where it's going to be. And to be honest, with it at 7, I would never say bet your house on anything. But I feel pretty good about that. I mean, I would be like, okay. I think, I mean, 35-28, yeah, definitely. But I lean a little more to 42-28. Actually, you know what, to be honest? Alex Grinch, I got a feeling he's upset. I'm going to change my prediction here a little. I'm going to go 35-17. I think, I think the defense shows up and does a little more against Purdy. And maybe the offense, it's not they're only going to score 35 because it struggles. I think they're going to try some new things with the running game, like I said, to finish out a game. I'm going 35-17. I just kind of feel I got a vibe about what's going to happen with this young staff this year. Yeah, and I I would go with probably 38-24. Like you said, I really feel like just due to what we've seen over and over and over, I don't think OU has the depth to to put that big a clamp on. I, I think that Brees Hall is going to get loose once or twice. But like we said, it's what they do after that. Can they rally from that? And I have confidence that what we've seen this week from Lincoln Riley and, and like you said, what we know of Alex Grinch, like I have confidence that they will come out and be better for it this week. And also, I find it very difficult to believe that the Sooners will turn the ball over four times and then have a block punt and then fail to convert a uh, fourth in short. That essentially is six turnovers, and Kansas State needed every single one of them to eke out a victory. I just think that the Sooners are going to come back motivated, and a guy of Spencer Rattler's ilk will find out a ton about him. I feel like this is kind of on him because, look, the the situation is there. If he learned from last week, I think he should be able to pick apart this Iowa State secondary, move the ball, take care of it. If he didn't, you could be looking at something similar where he throws for a ton of yards, has a bunch of touchdowns, and has two or three picks. Because like we said, there's going to be a lot of guys drop back into coverage, and you're just going to have to be really disciplined on looking linebackers off and making sure that the safety's not uh, where you think he is. A couple other things, predictions for you in this game, like you were talking about Rattler. I'm not saying he's going to turn into Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray. I look for him to be a little more like Baker Mayfield, and before people rip me for saying I'm comparing it, I mean, remember how Baker would scramble just a little, right? Just enough to keep defenses honest. I look for a little more of that this Saturday. You know, when that pressure comes, not waiting to try to throw it away or whatever. If he's got the three or four yard gain, he takes that and gets that just to keep defenses honest where they can't just totally sell out and coming after him because he can tuck the ball and get five yards a pop. So I kind of look for him to do some of that this weekend, Ryan. Yeah, I agree. I thought that actually of all the people in the conference, I thought that Illingworth from Oklahoma State, the other freshman, did a really good job of that last weekend. I I think Mm -hmm. that we'll see the same. I did have some concerns. I think I tweeted this out at one point during the game. Spencer Rattler does not have the Baker Mayfield slippery, whatever that is, trying to get away from some defensive linemen. But he is definitely athletic enough and smart enough to identify, hey, there's no one over the middle of the field. This is an easy five yards on a first down. And, and that's all this offense needs because, again, Lincoln Riley in a second and five, good freaking luck. He has the entire playbook at his disposal, and he's got two plays to get five yards. Hey, one thing for that, and I know we got a question from a listener as well, but I think the other reason he'll do that, 
thing back to Baker Mayfield. It hasn't worked for him as well in the NFL because guys are faster and everything. One, How many passes did he complete by just showing that ability to run and he's dropped back six yards and he takes off towards the line of scrimmage and that linebacker that may be in coverage or that safety may be in coverage realize, oh, he's not afraid to run with the ball, so they leave that running back. And next thing you know, then he dumps it off. So I think that's kind of some things that Spencer will learn going, hey, it's not that I truly have to run, but if I at least start to get that reputation a little, it may open up some guys where I can dump it off for a 20-yard gain as opposed to my little four or five-yard rushing attempt. So I think that's one thing to watch, you know, this weekend. That's one reason I keep I'm, – I'm trying to sell Spencer running a little. It's not right. to be Kyler. It's not to be Jalen Hurts. It's to help open up other things in the offense. Yep, absolutely for sure. And then the one listener question, good call on that as I almost forgot, but our good friend Alex Hudson Pillar, hopefully got that right. Who steps up? I'm glad you said it because I was afraid of that as well. Yeah, we're just rolling with it. Um, The fact that their ad on Twitter is Alex Caterpillar or Caterpillar, I'm assuming that Hudson Pillar, we're just going to roll with it. But uh, the, the question was, who steps up and gets pressure on Purdy? Line wasn't able to create much pressure last week. I actually thought the line did a really good job. Like Lincoln Riley talked about this. Patrick Fields talked about this. Kansas State very quickly realized that they were getting absolutely shredded up front and moved to a, if the ball's not out in two seconds, like you have done something wrong, Skylar Thompson. So I was actually pleased with what the line did, but we've seen in Alex Grinch's defense, um, if the front plays like the front should, and I was really pleased with how Perrion Winfrey played, that really opens up Deshaun White and Brian Asamoa, and, and to a certain extent, Nick Benito, to be those guys that they're going to be the heavy hitters. They're going to be the ones that hit home a lot just because of all the shifts and movement. So I would say it's going to be a combination, but look at those guys coming off the edge or through the middle with some speed Um, there. A lot of times if the, if the line slants correctly and, and gets everyone all miscombobulated and can push the pocket a little bit, how many times did we see Deshaun White or Brian Asamoa coming through with pressure untouched? They didn't always hit home because, like I said, Kansas State was getting the ball out so quickly. But Mm -hmm. I have some optimism for this pass rush, even without Jalen Redmond and Ronnie Perkins. Hey, you know, it's funny. You took my answers because I'm with you. I actually love the defensive line this past week, and I thought they did a good job. And that's the reason why, when you look at it, Kansas State's true running game didn't get off the ground. That defensive line did their job. And you talk to Kelly Gregg, who played in the NFL forever. That's the reason I like Asamoah, because you talk to a guy like Kelly Gregg. He will tell you right now, one reason Ray Lewis was a Hall of Famer, he's not going to say it was him, but it was that defensive line for Baltimore. Their job is to control the line where those linebackers can go through there and make the big plays, the the highlight real moments. And so I'm like you. I think Benito, I think Asamoah, I think White. Those three guys look for them to have a big impact because it, especially with Hall, I think they're going to do some run blitzing because the la- I think if you can make pretty one-dimensional where he has to throw the ball and you can somewhat take Hall away, that's in Oklahoma's favor. So look for those linebackers to be the ones to get the pressure and really win free and all them. People may criticize them by the end of the season because I don't think you're going to see big sack numbers out of the line. But what you're going to see is bigger numbers tackles for loss out of those linebackers because that line is doing its job. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I almost think Perrion Winfrey is is that defensive tackle that Mike Stoops was looking for when he moved to the 3-4. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that can push the pocket while being double teamed. It's just a different look that we've seen from Oklahoma in a long, long time up front. So like you said, I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to judge them purely on the defensive sack, uh, the defensive line sack numbers, but just look like Kansas State had 100 yards of total offense. They only ended with 66 rushing yards total. Like they obviously were hitting home. And I can't remember. Remember the series in the first half, I believe it was in the second quarter, Kansas State had drove down the field and they were going for it on a short yard play. And those linebackers were to the linebacker. And why would that be? Why are the linebackers to the running back by the time they get the ball? Because the defensive line's doing its job. All of a sudden, it takes two guys on Winfrey, which, oh, two guys on Winfrey means wide open space over here. Linebackers are getting through it and they're hitting home. So, yeah, I think that's the thing because I've loved what Winfrey's doing. And I think also you look at this defensive line. It was the second game, and I don't know about you, Ryan, and it was 85, and I'm one that loves the heat, so I'm not complaining about the heat, but that humidity and the heat on Saturday, it hit home at one point in time, and I think as much as that defensive line was on the field in the second half, it did start to take a little toll midway through the third quarter and into that fourth quarter. Yeah, absolutely. I I think basically what we're trying to say here is in the immortal words of Greg Williams, we're going to see some dudes get their testicles in the C gap on Saturday. Oh yeah. I definitely think so. We need that sound clip for the podcast. Yes. Yes. I will work on that by next time. But Randy, I think we've done about as much damage as we can do. The only thing we've got is I've got a little wedding party this weekend, but other than that, six 30 ABC, hopefully we'll have some good things to talk about on Sunday. I, I think we will. I think we will. But the important part with your wedding does game time mess it up or is it an afternoon wedding no it's actually per it's a friday night wedding so oh perfect yeah so it's all basically like i'll be in wichita it's open bar so like i won't be able to be back in oklahoma by wedding by kickoff because like i'll be very hungover so i've already made the arrangements i'll find a nice couch uh not some nice couch with uh one of a few of my buddies be set up for that and then i can hop right into the laptop into the post game zoom where hopefully we're able to ask some more fun questions after an Oklahoma win as opposed to a shocking loss. Count on a victory. I'm feeling it good. Feeling good this week. Feeling good as well. All right, Randy, I will talk to you on Sunday. Remember, if you're coming to this from not Twitter, follow us on Twitter. That's where all of our stuff, we do a lot of stuff for the franchise. Obviously, we have, um, I had articles coming out today straight from Lincoln Riley's press conference at Radio's Ryan on Twitter. That's where you can find all of that. And if you want to harass Randy for taking the Texas Tech money line at RJ Heights 1077. You can't please. harass me. I had it. I had it. He he had it. Randy, I, what I need you to do is just start tweeting out your Venmo. Every time you have a bad beat like that, just screenshot your Venmo, tweet it out, and be like uh, accepting donations, hashtag bad beats. Yeah, I was not, I'm still not happy. Really, to be honest, I hated Ellinger even more. And then someone reminded me he could come back and play next year, and I even wanted to cute more. Yeah, let's not get into that discussion. I think it's just going to make everyone around here sad. All right, all right. Until Sunday for our next post-game pod, be safe, everyone. We will see you, hopefully, like we said, good things Saturday night.